Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the podcast that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed in networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. For our next live show, Ben Blacker and I are proud to be part of San Francisco Sketchfest. We will be there Sunday, January 20th at 4 o'clock. Go to sfsketchfest.com for your tickets. We will be reading a pilot from the brilliant stand-up and writer Joel Kim Booster. And we'll also be reading a pilot from yours truly. Tony Hale will be there, Lucy Davis from the British office, Guy Branham, lots more people. Check our social media for more announcements about cast. And then we will be at Dynasty Typewriter at the Hayworth Theater on February 10th. Uh, three really, really funny pilots for that one. So uh, ticket link is up at Dynasty Typewriter. Uh, and Eventbrite, I believe. So go and get your tickets for that, too. With the plugs out of the way, I really have to sincerely say thank you to everyone listening to this. We are at such a podcast saturation point that it means a lot that you're listening to this one. And, you know, I won't even be offended if you fast-forward through my intros to get to the pilots. I fast-forward through the intros of plenty of podcasts that I really love. Sorry, Mark Marin. Uh, so fast forward if you must, but I'm going to update you on my pilot writing process. My co-writers and I finished our first draft yesterday. We read it out loud before submitting it to the studio. I almost forgot to do that. Always do that with anything you write. Even if it's just you alone in a room reading all the parts, you learn so much by hearing the words spoken out loud. It's kind of the whole philosophy behind Dead Pilot Society. What I noticed reading the draft is that it got much better as it went along. And then my next thought was, duh, of course that is the case. That is inevitably the case with pilots. You have to learn who the characters are before you can start getting the juicy laughs, the the laughs that come from character. And I think part of what makes the process of writing and developing pilots so hard is that we are expecting the same pleasures from a pilot that we get from non-pilot episodes of television. But those pleasures come from familiarity with the characters. I just listened to this fantastic interview with Michael Schur on the I Think You're Interesting podcast, Todd Vanderweff's uh, podcast on Vox. Anyone who likes this podcast should listen to that episode. We'll probably never have Mike Schur on this podcast because he's been lucky enough to have never had a dead pilot. But he's one of the smartest guys working in television comedy. And as a bonus, you get some wisdom from him from his mentor, Greg Daniels, one of the best television writers of all time. So, so many great nuggets in the interview. After you listen to this, go listen to that. At one point... Mike mentions a moment from Friends that he loved. And I admit, I like this part because I was on the show at that point. Uh, The six friends are in Monica's apartment, and there's a knock on the door. This is in the Reese Witherspoon episode. There's a knock on the door. They all look puzzled and sort of look around at each other. Phoebe silently counts everyone, and we all get the joke. They're all there. Who could possibly be knocking? It's so satisfying, and we want those kind of satisfactions in a pilot but they're not available yet you have to get there and so it bakes in a kind of frustration across the board for both the writer writing a pilot and the executives 
giving notes on it. We all want a pilot to do something that by its nature, it can't really do. Or maybe I just suck. It's, it's one or the other. Uh, our dead pilot this time is American Alien by Sierra Teller Ornalis. Uh, Sierra is fantastic. She's written on Happy Endings and Superstore. Um, I think you're really going to love this pilot. Our cast for this one was Kalika Kawahi from Superstore as Didi, Kevin Sussman from Big Bang Theory as Connor, Dustin Ibarra from Kevin Probably Saves the World as Sonny, Stephanie Weir from Mad TV as Ruth, Nicole Bloom from Superstore as Jackie, Kevin Balmore from Surviving Jack as Hector, our beloved Maria Blasucci from Drunk History as Mavis and Stacy, and uh, voice actor Logan Hall as Tolliver and some other parts. So here's my live interview with Sierra from the USC Comedy Festival at USC, followed by the read, and then a longer conversation from the USC stage where we talk about her very inspiring road to being a writer and why, unlike most writers, she loves pitching and how her childhood kind of prepared her for pitching. Uh, we also did an audience Q&A, which is a rare thing for us, but it was a good one. No crazy people, no crazy questions. So here is American Alien after a brief message. Welcome back to WKEP at night. Up next, looks like we've got a PSA from local forest ranger Duck Newton. Do I start now? or? Yeah, I lean in, Duck. Yeah, sorry. Um, okay, I-, I wanted to address the unfortunate situation that... Okay... Listen, two people, good people that I and a lot of y'all have known our whole lives are dead. Torn to shreds by... A savage, uh, bloodthirsty beast that defies human comprehension. If you'd like to know more, stop by the Cryptonomica, Kepler's premier museum of the macabre. Just off highway... Come come on. We just wanted to warn y'all, to beg you. If you see one of those things out in the forest, don't fight. Don't scream. Run. Run as far as you can. Doc, it's almost midnight. Listen, folks, if you see anything, please go to thelamplighter.org and let us know. And get behind a locked door tonight. Anything else we need to... Oh, they're leaving. Okay, well, that's thelamplighter.org, and stay safe out there, Kepler. So, so happy to have you here, Sierra. Having me. We just actually met just a little while ago, but I read the script, which is called American Alien. Loved it. Uh, tell us, who did you sell this to? Um, well, before I start, Yate Sierra Nalasienshe, Tabahe Nishle, Nikai Net Bashishchi, Twahaglini Dutache, Do Nikai Net Edishanelli. My name is Sierra. I'm um, a Navajo, and I'm born of the Edgewater clan and for the Mexican people. So I have to do that. Because traditionally, Navajo people say they're clans when they're speaking to a lot of people. And if I don't, my mom will be very mad at me. So <laughs> thank you. Would not want that. Would not want that, no. Good. Um, okay. But I sold this pilot to NBC. Okay. And do you want to just, I don't want to spoilers, but you want to just sort of give a quick logline of what the pilot's about? Sure. Um, yeah, like my brother and I um, are kind of nerds who lived in Tucson, and he was a little more sci-fi nerd, and I was a little more of a Pulp Fiction nerd, and so I we always had this running joke of, like, it would be terrible if I was Neo from The Matrix because I wouldn't know what to do, and I would poke holes in all the, like, problems of the stories, whereas he was, like, so ready to be Neo from The Matrix, and so we just had this idea of, like, what would happen if I really did become sort of, like, a Men in Black-type character solving alien crimes in the Southwest, and so that's what this is. 
And is this the town where, you know, in Arizona where this, this is sort of where you are from? Yes, I was born in Phoenix, raised in Tucson, and this is sort of like definitely set in Tucson. So you sell the pilot. Yes. Um, how many people, by the way, are writers in the audience or would like to be awesome. writers? Okay, cool. Um, so how was the process once you sold the writing of the script? How was your relationship with NBC during the writing of it? Yeah, I had a great experience um, when it came to the developing. I developed with America Ferrera's company, and she was just like a dream to develop with. We had lunch, and um, I worked for three seasons on Superstore, which she is the star of that show, and, and we had this great meeting, and she was like, what is the Latino, you know, Native American story you've always wanted to tell that like you can't pitch in a room that you can't, like you just always wanted. And that was like the first story that came into my head and I pitched it and she was like, that's what we're doing. And she was so, her and um, Terry Weinberg were so just champions of the script and they really helped. It was much easier to go into rooms with America Ferrera <laughs> than if I had to go by myself. Um, and then working with the Networking Studio is always like a, a weird dance, but I'm just very proud of what we made, so. And what was the end like? The end, I think I drank so much beer and ate so many ribs, right? I'm looking at my husband right now. Yeah, it was a bad, it was a bad day. But it was, was what was hard was, um, I was like, there's no way. Like, statistically, I'm a unicorn. I'm like a Native American comedy writer for a network TV. Like, that's crazy. Shouldn't, right? Um, but, um, but so I was like, it would just be great to get it bought. Like, that would be amazing to sell a pilot. And then we did. We sold it in the room, which felt so good. And then um, and then you're like, well, there's no way it'll make it through these hurdles, and it keeps going. And then other networks were picking up, like, Latinx, like, Supernatural, like, Greatest American Hero got picked up with, like, an Indian American lead, like, Charmed. And I was like, maybe this is the year, like, <laughs> and then it wasn't the year for me. But so it was hard, because towards the end, you, it was like the Dodgers, like you started to get your hopes up and then it was just like, no, that's not going to happen for you. But, you you know, there's always next year. So Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think they will hear this and feel bad about their decision. I hope so. Well, that was this is the most amazing thing because I do feel like all I wanted was for it to get picked up to pilot so people could read it and I could hear it. So this is such an honor and I'm so glad to be here. Okay, this is American Alien Pilot written by Sierra Teller Ornalis. Act one, we fade in on a Tucson, Arizona parking lot. It's 4 a.m. Didi Mendoza drags a beat-up hot dog cart across an endless empty parking lot. A Sud Sonoran dog's logo is splashed on the side. She talks with her boss on a cell phone and with her free hand struggles to hold the cart. Mavis, I don't mind filling in last minute. I mean, how often do you get to see a sunrise? Well, Instagram, that's, that's true. <laughs> hey, I should really... No, I'd love to hear possible baby names. The cart slips free and rolls away. Dee Dee runs after it but stays on the phone. Cromwell for a girl? Love it. I'm yelling because I'm excited for you. Over quick cuts, we watch Dee Dee set up her hot dog cart. Chopping, stacking, cooking, etc. At this hour, her customers are the service people we rarely notice. Migrant workers, bus drivers, sanitation drivers, etc. Dee Dee treats them all like royalty. Serving up the greatest dish in the history of food. The Sonoran hot dog. We go into a mini montage. Dee Dee guesses the order of two hotel cleaning people. One is chubby, the other thin. No cheese and extra cheese, right? Dee Dee offers a migrant worker sunscreen. He waves her off, but she playfully withholds his food until he accepts. Next, Dee Dee serves a college girl doing the walk of shame. Nothing wrong with enjoying your Friday night. I say get it, girl. She drags her cart uphill to a downtown office building. It's lunchtime. Dee Dee fills the order of two professional women and eavesdrops on their chatter. 
what's that Sandra Bullock movie? She's a cop, and there's like these evil teen boys. Dee Dee perks up. She knows the answer. Oh, it's Legally Blonde. Dee Dee makes a WTF no look. She has to chime in. Murder by Numbers. That's the movie. It's where Bullock met and dated Ryan Gosling. The women take the food and go, completely ignoring Dee Dee. I hear he's nice in real life. Really, Dee Dee? That's interesting. Well, he's Canadian, so it's not that impressive. <laughs> to most, Dee Dee is invisible. All she wants is to be seen. Dee Dee drags her cart downhill. She lands at a bookstore parking lot. Ruth, one of Dee Dee's regulars, a groovy woman in her 70s, approaches with a 16-year-old named Hector. Let me get two hot dogs, extra bacon. She looks to Hector. You hungry? She turns back to Dee Dee. Sorry, make it three. Ruth, I need the business, but you can't eat like this at your age. If you stroke out, I'm liable. You gotta grab life by the cojones. I'm gonna die with a hot dog in my hand. <laughs> Who's your friend? I'm Hector. Nice to meet you. Dee Dee clocks Hector, giving Ruth a nervous look. How's it going? It's, uh, you know, pretty terrible. His mom got deported last week. Oh, don't forget the onions. Oh, wow. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm trying to find work. Got to take care of my little brother. I was wondering if, if you were hiring. I wish. I'm working a triple today, but let me think. Um, a customer said they're hiring seasonal at Lowe's, but you need permanent. EG's? Oh, Nadine's Bakery. One of their guys got caught filming girls sitting on the cake, so he's out. I'll call Nadine. She owes me a favor. I told you she, that she would know what to do. This girl knows everyone in town. Thank you so much. Many blessings to you and your children. Oh, I don't have kids. Uh, well, um, your husband then. Don't have one of those either. Your boyfriend? Close friend? I'm not. You know what? You should just head out now. And we go interior of the bookstore later. Dee Dee walks through Bookman's, a Barnes & Noble type store that sells new and used books, music, toys, board games, antiques, etc. It's a nerd mecca. She lands at a counter where her younger brother, Sonny Mendoza, works. With a touch of ceremony, she serves him his lunch, a hot dog, Sprite, and two gummy vitamins on a napkin. Yelp's literally trying to destroy me. Oh yeah? Again? That's cool. Some jack gave us one star because... Your nerd employee took forever suggesting a book to my son. Okay, but did you, though? The kid wanted a book on dragons. That's going to take a minute. <clears throat> Dee Dee pulls out a to-go bag she's written notes on. We need to talk. Sonny, our cell phone bill is due. I've covered you for two years, but enough is enough. You have to pay your share this week, or you're off the family plan. Mic drop. Dee Dee waits for his response, nervous. I'm really glad you brought this up. You are? Yep. In fact, let's take a moment to appreciate how amazing you are. Also, have you lost weight? Buttering me up won't work this time. I'm setting a boundary. Boundary? I pay your share? What is happening? You never use words like these. I totally do. Someone left an O magazine on my cart. Oprah says I can't reach my potential until I remove my spirit leeches from my growth core. Sounds stupid. I know, but last night I was on Facebook and my timeline was all new babies and new jobs and people doing exciting stuff. The last thing I posted was how Mitt Romney was going to destroy our country. Okay, I love you, but you're stressing out over nothing. I find if you just sit back and chill, things have a way of falling into place. Right, because I put them into place for you. Don't you want more than this? 
No. I mean, I told 12-year-old me I was being paid to read comic books and play video games all day. That kid pooped himself with happiness. And that's a good thing? Better than pooping yourself with sadness. Sunny walks off as though the conversation is over. I'm not done talking. Dee Dee catches up to her brother who restocks a shelf. All day, I take orders from people, and most of them don't even look me in the eye. I want to be the boss for once. I want to say, send it to me by close of business or don't even bother coming in. Unless they have a hard time, then I'll give them more time. But at least I'll be a boss. I, I can do any of that if I'm always covering for you. Oh, fine. I'll pay you back, probably. <laughs> but right now, I need to focus on my D&D game. So Sunny points, and we reveal Sunny's friends Tolliver and Jackie wave from a nearby table. So they heard all that? I support your setting boundaries, Dee Dee. Very brave. <laughs> I, I don't really care either way. Dee Dee's caught. She wasn't expecting an audience. I didn't know you had plans. I was going to ask for hot dogs for him, but that feels kind of weird now. So anything else I'm doing wrong? We're starting as soon as Cliff gets here. Cliff's coming? How do I look? Stupid. Oh, I hate this shirt. <sighs> you like guacamole in your hair? Like a lot of guacamole. But it doesn't matter. Here he comes. Angle on Cliff, a super cute guy, and Dee Dee's crush walking toward them in slow motion. Dee Dee is smitten. Damn. How did anything that pretty come out of Tucson? Don't sexualize my friend, okay? We're the same age. It's gross. We played Ninja Turtles together. Whatever. You still play with Ninja Turtles. Cliff waves and Dee Dee smiles, giggles. <laughs> so about those uh, free hot dogs... Dee Dee glares at her brother, and we smash cut to the Bookman's parking lot later. Dee Dee serves the group as Sonny hands out character descriptions. We're an elite squad facing a global alien invasion. Most excellent. I, Jackie, I thought you had to work at your mom's kid gym. Nah, I lock my students in the trampoline room, so we got two hours before they realize it isn't fun. Now let's do this. <laughs> Done serving, Dee Dee starts to cross off, but Cliff stops her. Hey, Dee Dee. Thanks for the food. What? <laughs> no, I was just like, I mean, it was nothing. I mean, like, I was just here and had hot dogs, so you did the math. <laughs> well, happy yummies. Okay, bye. Dee Dee scurries off, kicking herself for rambling. We're exterior Dee Dee and Sonny's house at night. After a long day at work, Dee Dee and PJs pulls her trash can to the street. Her cell phone dings. It's Sonny. OMG, was gonna do that. Dee Dee grumbles. She looks up at the night sky. She looks down to see Ruth sprinting towards her. Whoa, Ruth, look at you go. Do you think joint pills? I mean, I should, but they're so big. Ruth slams into her, sending her flying. Oh, sorry. They see a pair of headlights in the distance. Ruth hurries over to her, takes off a metal bracelet with indentations that look like buttons, and hands it to Dee Dee. Here, take this. There's no time. Is this for helping Hector? Because you don't need to. No, well, so, sort of. Put it on when it's safe and beware of the yodelness. Oh, no. Is this like a dementia situation? Because it feels very that. Right. Right. That, 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 that sounds like gibberish. Uh, the moon. Beware of the moon. Great. That doesn't sound like gibberish at all. Good luck. Give them hell. Ruth tries to flee, but no longer has her stride. A black van screeches up. Government agents, all wearing polos, various colors, and khaki pants, including Agent Connor Jacobs, jump out and capture Ruth. I don't want to fight. 
But we need to come to an understanding. We're on opposite sides, kid. I'm an alien defender, and you are a government hack in cheap shoes. The other agents snicker at an embarrassed Connor. I was hoping to avoid this. Put her in the van. Ruth struggles as the other agents drag her into a van. It's tense until we pan right to reveal Dee Dee watching them, wide-eyed. For once, being invisible has its perks. We're interior Dee Dee in Sunny's bathroom the next morning. Dee Dee stares at the bracelet, nervous. She picks it up and examines it, pushing the buttons. She speaks into it. Siri. <laughs> Siri. Mm, pretty bracelet. Can I have it? And we reveal Jackie watching in the doorway. Of course not. Why are you here? I fell asleep on the couch. I do that. Where'd you get that bracelet? You don't wear jewelry. If I tell you something, do you promise? Never mind. It's too weird, and you're too weird. Thank you. Dee Dee stares at the bracelet for a beat, then puts it on. It latches onto her wrist. Dee Dee reacts, then waits. Is something supposed to happen? What? You went back to get those kids at the gym, right? Oh, there's going to be a lot of pee, like a lot. And we're exterior in the Bookman's parking lot. Dee Dee works, her boss, Mavis, confident and yoga pregnant, thin with a perfect bowling ball belly, counts her drawer. We're trying to choose between Kendall, Kelly, Kimber, Kylie, and connotation, <laughs> but with a K. You want to name your baby Connotation? So pretty, right? Mm -hmm. But I might save it for the next one because Sonogram says this baby's going to be like really fat. Sonogram. <laughs> she considers the name for a beat, then notices Dee Dee's bracelet. Oh, Dee Dee, Dee Dee, we don't allow jewelry at work. You know that. Dee Dee tries to take off her bracelet, but it won't budge. Oh, see, I have the opposite problem. Bracelets just slip right off my wrist. <laughs> just then, an old Latino couple hands Dee Dee some tamales. Oh, no, thank you. I don't have cash. It's a gift. Welcome to our community. Aren't you all the same community? M maybe they're from El Salvador? The old couple walk backwards, bowing. Dee Dee bows back. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Definitely from out of town. It's now night. Dee Dee finishes closing down and disinfecting her cart. Her brother approaches after working his shift. Hey, guess what I got at work? Samurai sword! It's kind of pricey, but I had to have it. Dee Dee shoots him a miffed look, but before she can get into it, they're interrupted by a tough guy wearing all black. Where is the boy? Excuse me? Dee Dee notices he's wearing a pin in the shape of the moon on his coat lapel, and his tie, and an earring. Remembering Ruth's warning to, be to beware of the moon, Dee Dee pauses. Moonpin. Don't see those too often. The tough guy lunges at Dee Dee, attacking her, but she's weirdly able to fight back, now suddenly dexterous. Oh, sorry! What the hell is happening? Did I smoke meth and forget? <laughs> he misses a punch, hitting her cart. Condiments go flying. Dude! This cart takes forever to disinfect! Keep fighting. Great, now we're just throwing people's onions now? Dee Dee continues to spray and wipe between punches. Sonny tries to make sense of what he's seeing. How are you? When did you? What? But you're so out of shape. <laughs> Ow, I don't have time to go to the gym. I work a lot of hours. The tough guy pulls out what looks like a gun. Dee Dee disarms him and accidentally shoots. Oh, I'm so sorry. The tough guy explodes into goo, <laughs> completely covering Dee Dee, Sonny, and her hot dog cart. 
They stand for a beat, stunned. My entire life, I've heard you yammer on in detail about what you do in a kung fu battle, but when it actually happens, nothing. You had it under control. I couldn't get involved until I knew both sides of the story. Seriously? Unbelievable. You were literally holding a sword. DD sees the headlights of the government van. We need to run. And that's the end of Act One. Act Two, we fade in. We're interior bookmans in the foyer. Dee Dee, freaked out, watches Connor from a store window as he oversees the cleanup. Sonny, also freaked, paces around. That thing wasn't human, right? Which means, technically, I didn't kill someone. I killed some... Is monster a word we're comfortable using? What am I saying? I don't know. It's an alien. Shut up. No way. We're covered in goo, dude. It was definitely an alien. Based on his clothes, I'm guessing some kind of like enforcer. Enforcer? Like a cop? Maybe. He definitely saw you as an enemy. We're dealing with a lot of variables here. We need to... Oh my god! Sonny runs to the window. It's another alien attack! Oh, those dicks are stealing my hot dog cart! We see the agents put the cart in their van and leave. We gotta get it back. Dude, aliens exist! They're after you! Who cares about your dumb cart? Uh, that cart keeps us fed and housed. And you're gonna step up and use your nerd knowledge to get it back. So how do we do that? Sonny thinks on this and we smash cut to the roof of Bookman's bookstore. And most sci-fi superpowers are directly related to a hero's job. Aquaman has water-based powers. Spider-Man shoots webs because he wants to fight crime but not kill. What the hell are you babbling about? You couldn't tell me this downstairs? If we can suss out your powers, we can work backwards to figure out why you have them. Oh, that's really smart. Thanks. You know, my expert knowledge is probably worth, like, I don't know, at least $30. I wouldn't say that, no. Sunny nods, worth a try. On this, we start a montage. Sunny throws random items at Dee Dee, who deftly dodges them. Okay, enhanced reflexes. Sunny holds a bat as Dee Dee braces herself. I'm sorry in advance. He whacks her hard, and the wood shatters against her hip. Do it again. They share a smile. Both are starting to enjoy this. Dee Dee does multiple cartwheels as Sonny takes notes. The last fat person to do a cartwheel was Chris Farley. Sonny flips channels on the break room TV. He stops on shows in different languages. I understand what they're saying. This means you'll finally be fluent in Spanish. <laughs> We're going to know what Mina and Rita says about us now. <laughs> they high five. Next, they test out the tough alien's gun. I think it was... This button. Dee Dee shoots, and the bullet blows up a building miles away. <laughs> we should go back yeah. inside. <laughs> and that's the end of the montage. We're in Bookman's in the antique book section. Sonny is surrounded by books. He studies, focused. Now tell me everything about this bracelet. Um, I took out the trash, and Ruth ran up and gave it to me. Then the guy in the gray polo took her away. She called him a government hack, and herself... A defender? <gasps> Alien defender. Sonny's eyes light up. We cut to the sci-fi section. He pulls a book from a shelf and hands it to his sister. Rex Rogers, Space Protector? It's one of my favorites. It's an old 70s sci-fi novel about a guy who protects aliens living on Earth. Okay, but doesn't the phi in sci-fi stand for fiction? Ms. Are how societies process fantastic truths we can't understand. In the ancient times of the 1970s? Hey, you asked me to help you. Respect. Tell me about Rex. 
Who's a chosen one? Given powers to help aliens. Super strength, fighting skills, linguistic abilities. Sounds familiar. Powers are passed down. I'm guessing Ruth must have been a chosen one who gave her powers and responsibilities to you. So I'm like Tim Allen in the Santa Claus. That's your reference? This is way cooler. Ah! If I take it out of the trash, ah, I can't even think about it. Even if Ruth was a whatever and passed on her what have yous, I'm a nobody. Why would she want to the Santa Claus me? That's what we'd like to know. And we reveal Connor and the government agents surrounding them. They toss black bags over Dee Dee and Sonny's heads and drag them away. We now cut to a new location. Connor sits across from Dee Dee and Sonny, who are handcuffed with black bags still over their heads. So, this is pretty bad. What? We've been abducted by government spooks. This rules. Well, what if it's not the government? What if it's the mob? Oh, sure, it's the mob, yeah. D kicks Sonny. You don't know? Remember when Cousin Regina was dating that guy Mom said was a mafioso? He was not. He just had slick back hair, and he said he liked pizza. Yeah, but he said it a lot. Whatever, this isn't good. We're about to meet some elite X-Files agents who will read our minds with sensory machines and swab our parts for DNA. Ew! What parts? You know, uh, I, I can hear you, right? <laughs> Dee Dee and Sonny clam up. Connor takes off their bags, and they see they're in a dingy-looking conference room. On the wall is a framed Jimmy Carter photo and a broken flat screen. This doesn't feel very elite. Welcome to the Central Alien Intelligence Agency. You were brought here with the hopes of... He's interrupted by Stacy, a co-worker, who sticks her head in the room holding a bunch of birthday balloons. Oh, Connor, we reserved the conference room. No, I know, Stacy, but... <laughs> no, we use the reservation system to avoid situations like this. Uh, I just need five minutes. Stacy sighs and goes. Dee Dee and Sonny share a confused look. My agency uh, would like to work with the local alien defender. That's you. Oh, so that's official? Like people know about me and the bracelet? Connor nods. Dee Dee takes a moment to really absorb this. Wait, why should I trust you? You grabbed Ruth and tossed her in a van? That's not a cool thing to do. Yes. Let me explain. We Stacy pokes her head back in. Hey, Connor, we really need... Th this is important. Pam's birthday is important. Connor and Stacy stare each other down. It's a little later. Connor ushers Dee Dee and Sonny through the offices. The vibe is very mid-level pencil pusher. Um, you don't seem to be in charge of anything. Yeah, you didn't even get invited to Pam's birthday. Uh, fine, I'm, I'm a nobody, okay? I moved here three years ago from Long Island because heading west sounded exciting. Did you buy a cowboy hat? We don't need to talk about that right now. He definitely did. So what is this place? Um, after the first U.S. encounter with space aliens in 1894, the CAIA was created to help refugee aliens acclimate to life on Earth and to keep their identities a secret. But if you're doing that, why do you need me? Oh, the government's a broken system. <laughs> Especially a secret department within that system. They keep walking over to Connor's cubicle. I um, mostly do paperwork and clean up after Yadalas. Eddie, what now? Uh, alien enforcement. Other planets, they don't want their citizens escaping to Earth, so they send Yadalas uh, who patrol for rogue aliens, send them back home. 
The guys with the moon pins. The only person aliens trust are alien defenders. We, we took Ruth in so I could beg her to work with us, but she, she escaped during transit. Dee Dee searches Connor's face. Is he telling the truth? We believe she's in deep hiding, which leaves us with you. Me? No, no, I don't know. This is crazy. What kind of problems could these alien folks even have? Dee Dee, Sonny, and Connor look into a holding cell from a two-way mirror. They see a little four-year-old boy who sits alone clutching a teddy bear in an all-white room. We don't know who he belongs to. He has no records, and he won't speak to us. Uh, if we don't find his parents, we'll be forced to turn him over to the Yadalas. Seriously? Couldn't start with something easier to reject? Had to start with a tiny, adorable child? Dee Dee looks to Sonny. What's the move here? It couldn't hurt to try. You are good with kids. No, I'm not. I know, it's just something people say. <laughs> and that's the end of Act 2. Act 3, we fade in on the holding cell. Dee Dee sits with the little boy. They stare at each other. Sonny and Connor watch them from a two-way mirror. How do you think she'll do? All women are good with kids, right? Sonny makes a hand gesture like, so-so. Mm, Dee Dee and the little boy continue their stare off. How's it going? Paw Patrol, am I right? Don't even get me started on the like, monkey bars. Last time I talked to a five-year-old boy, I was five, and he didn't want to talk to me either. I was a stinky kid. Like, no one taught me to groom, and this was before YouTube, so I had, like, no guidance. The little boy reacts, weirded out. Does he understand her? You know, my grandma didn't speak English. She was from Mexico. She never learned, but I know she understood more than she let on. The little boy squirms in his seat. Are you hungry? The little boy nods. That I can help you with. And we're in the holding cell later. Dee Dee has set up her cart and eats hot dogs with the little boy, Sonny, and Connor. It's a warm and comfortable hang. I've never had a hot dog before, and this is delicious. Oh, for real? This is your first one? My parents didn't allow nitrates. What'd you eat on the 4th of July? Salad. Dee Dee and Sonny are floored by this. Okay, we have alien stuff to deal with, but we're coming back to this because this is not okay. That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. I say that knowing there's an orphan child in front of me. Even the little boy shoots Connor a pitying look. Dee <laughs> uh, Dee, uh... How long have you worked in food service? I started in high school. So it was after your stinky phase? Dee Dee smiles at him. Is he flirting? Yeah, it was just part-time, but then our parents split up. Her mom left to follow Dwight Yoakam. But he's a country singer? Long story. Our dad got remarried, new family. We didn't want to move, so part-time became full-time. Sonny and Dee Dee share a moment of solidarity only siblings can. The little boy pipes up, speaking an alien language. What did he say? I don't know. Oh, right. Say it again. He said his mom left him, too. The little boy continues. Dee Dee laughs, points to Connor. <laughs> You're right. His head does look like that. Like, like what? Nothing. Don't worry about it. She speaks to the boy in his alien language. I'm sorry your mom left. The little boy responds in the alien language, subtitled. It's going to be okay because my brother got a job. He's going to bring me birthday cake whenever I want. Uh, are, you, are you still talking about me? What exactly is wrong with my head? I have some theories. Let's start with the shape. Birthday cake? Holy shit, I think I know who your brother is. And we smash cut to Nadine's bakery. Hector and the little boy hug. Dee Dee, Sonny, and Connor watch the reunion by Connor's car. 
Why didn't they call the cops? Like, duh. He couldn't do that. He might be found out as an alien. I take back the duh. That duh should have been me. Connor, how do we get their mom back on the planet? Oh, uh, I'm afraid once an alien is deported, they can never come back. As Hector and his brother shoot Dee Dee a thankful smile, the gravity of this job lands on her. And we're interior Connor's car later. Connor drives Sonny and a bum Dee Dee back to his offices. How much does this job pay? Uh, it's a position of honor, like a priest. So, unpaid. So, I'm supposed to risk my life for free? Other ADs have uh, side jobs to supplement their position. David Letterman, for instance, had a popular talk show for many years. <laughs> Letterman was an AD? But can I give my bracelet away? Wait, what? Why would you want to do that? Well, uh, we can remove it surgically, but the uh, only ADs who've held the position for five years can pass it down. So it's settled. No one can do this job but you. End of story. I'm sorry. I can't. We have bills. Why are you fighting this? You always, oh my God, are you scared? No. This is Six Flags all over again. When you said you have a moral objection to roller coasters. Physics should be used for science, not senseless entertainment. You talk about wanting more out of your life. Well, this is it. And if you cheese this up, you'll never forgive yourself. I'm not cheesing it. Oh, you are so cheesing it right now. Uh, cheesing it. Is this local vernacular? I'm thinking about the big picture. How insanely hard this will be. I'll help. We'll do the whole thing together, like 50-50. Dee Dee takes this in for a beat. She tries to be calm, but Sonny's offer has flipped a switch in her. 50-50? Like our chore chart? Or the Camry I had to pay off by myself? Or like, I don't know, our fucking phone bill? Fine, I'll pay the stupid bill. I don't have enough money for the bill. Here's 10, when we get home, I'll give you my Doctor Who Funko, then we'll be square. Great, now I have to sell a Funko. I'm sorry, <clears throat> I'm an only child. Is this a normal sibling fight? Because it feels very heated. When are you going to nut up and take the leap? You didn't do it with college or the army or your Shark Tank idea. I would take more leaps if I wasn't already taking care of everything. Maybe I wouldn't have taken the college, maybe I wouldn't have taken the college leap if the insulated, or the insulated mason jar leap. Well, that was your Shark Tank idea. Yes, and it was terrible. But I could have pursued it if, it wasn't, if I wasn't being held back. I hold you back, please. You, you need... You need to take care of me so you never have to focus on yourself. There it is. Dee Dee and Sonny are finally being honest. Connor, I want my card back, and I want this bracelet off. They drive in silence for a beat. I see now. This is a significant fight. Not normal. It's days later, and Dee Dee is back at her cart. She wears a bandage where her bracelet once was. She waits with Sonny's lunch. He walks by. Stop setting up by the employee entrance so I'll talk to you. I'm not doing that. I'm here because there's great foot traffic. We reveal Dee Dee has set up her cart in a dingy alley right next to the store's back entrance. You want your hot dog? Well, at least eat your gummy vitamins. Sonny eats the vitamins, giving Dee Dee an in. I know you're bummed, but people like us don't get to save the world. We're too busy trying to get by. So even when you're offered a chance at glory, deep down, you know I'm not a hero. I'm just some hot dog vendor. Not to me, you're not. Dee Dee smiles. Oh, I totally cheesed it. You really did. Just then a customer approaches her counter. How can I help you? 
could let me rip your head from your neck. Dee Dee and Sonny freeze. The customer is actually a Yadala with a moon pin and similar uniform haircut as the first one. A moon pin. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm not an AD anymore, see? No bracelets. I'm not a threat. I know, but you killed my partner, so you're going to pay. We should ride. Dee Dee grabs hot dogs off the grill and throws them at the Yadala, burning his face. He recoils and they run. Did that hurt? My fingertips burned off years ago. What do we do? I don't know. Come on, dude. 50-50. Okay, uh, he's sensitive to heat. We could shoot him or blow him up. Ugh, why are we the only people in Arizona without guns? I have an idea. On three, we run back to the cart. Dee Dee counts off and they book it to the cart. She turns on the propane tank, stuffs napkins near them, and sprays it with lighter fluid. Sonny realizes what she's doing. No way! Are you sure? It's just a dumb cart. She lights it. They push and it hits the Yadala just as it explodes. We're interior of the Central Alien Intelligence Agency later. Dee Dee puts the bracelet back on. It tightens around her wrist and she scratches around it, itchy. I knew you'd come back. Really? No, when, when we got the call, I was looking at grad schools. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, I'm glad you're back. Well, I figure if we can take down a Yadala without the bracelet, maybe I can do this for real. So here's the deal. Connor, I'm willing to work with you, but I'm the alien defender, so we're doing things my way. You got it. Ah, uh, hero returns stronger. A team is formed. I just can't. Sonny, Sonny, if we're doing this, you can't do that. He turns to Connor. Now, I have a few demands. First, you have to replace my cart and pay me close to what I currently make. No, we're a poorly funded secret government agency. We can't even afford toner for the printer. Damn it! Our bounty just a rich people thing? Is Oprah the only one who gets to do it? Uh, we might be able to compensate you through trade, uh, give you items from our impound. What kind of items? And we smash cut as Bob Seeger's rambling, gambling <laughs> man blasts from the radio. Dee Dee drives Sonny and Connor around the streets of Tucson in a souped-up, tricked-out lowrider. Oh, we look so badass right now! Yeah, totally! The impound didn't have any cars not riddled with bullets. And we reveal that one side of the car is littered with bullet holes. Sonny picked it. I also thought it was very cool. Well, we're selling it tomorrow to replace my cart, and whatever's left is going to Hector. Sonny and Connor nod. It's the right thing to do. Okay, fine. But can I please have my driving into the sunset moment? Sure. They drive for a beat. The music is uh, pretty loud. Dee Dee nods in agreement and turns off the radio. Sonny groans. Moment over. Connor opens and reviews a file. Okay, to get us started, I've compiled some open cases for your review. Now, your AD district is the entire state of Arizona, so we have our work cut out for us. Um, extortions, custody battles, ooh, a land dispute, fun. Sounds like a plan. Let's do this. Just then, Dee Dee's phone dings. Sonny grabs it. It's Mavis. She's asking where you are and where the cart is. Gonna be so pissed when I tell her about the cart and watch her gouge me on a replacement. Send it to voicemail. Sonny does as his sister commands. They both share a holy shit, did I just do that look? Dee Dee cranks up the music. They drive off into an insanely beautiful Tucson sunset. I'm sorry, it's just really loud. Dude, loosen up. They continue to drive. She lowers the volume a little, but they drive on. 
excited for what lies ahead. End of episode. Hello, Maximum Fun. I am Oliver Wong, scholar, journalist, DJ, etc. And I'm Morgan Rold. I'm a music supervisor who loves stilettos. We host Heat Rocks, a music podcast where we talk to influential artists and scholars about the albums that changed their lives. On our most recent episode, we had the chance to talk with none other than R&B legend Macy Gray mm. about one of her favorite albums, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy by <laughs> Yeezy. We get deep talking about everything from Kanye's college dropout days all the way up to his most recent shenanigans. I just think it's weak, and I don't think he has to do that, and, and I was just disappointed. So make sure you, dear listener, are subscribed because you definitely do not want to miss this conversation. Hate rocks every Thursday right here on Maximum Fun. That was great, Tierra. So... How much were you thinking? You know, there's obviously some uh, sort of subtle uh, political uh, yeah. ideas going on behind this. How much of that was intentional? I'm mean, obviously intentional, but how much of that was the motivation for for writing this, and how much was just like, oh, well, t- you know, t- just talk to me about that aspect. Yeah, I think it's very. I mean, like, I'm very much come from like a always make it funny, but also like you know try to say something. Um, in the stuff that I write and growing up in Tucson, it's like not exactly a border town, but it's in Southern Arizona. And like, you just grew up it being so easy to go to the, across the border. Like you used to go to my my mom's kitchen is like all Nogales, like tile. And, um, and it was just the way it was. It was like very porous. You're able to come down. They always came up and it was very friendly. And then just every decade it got like worse and worse in terms of like, security and racism and I remember my mom was like they passed this crazy law um that you could like stop people and ask for proof of citizenship in Arizona I'm probably saying this wrong there's some like Republican being like that's not what it was but it was it was like that (laughs) but it was to the point that my mom was like oh don't worry she's like I shrunk down my birth certificate and laminated it it's in my wallet like and it was just such a weird crazy thing and then Trump became president and he had like just been president and there was just all of these crazy stories of like this was before a lot of the um the child parent separation there was this before a lot of that stuff so like I kind of don't know how we would have made these episodes funny now just because <laughs> things are so dire but but there were these stories of people who you know you're a high school student and you you go to school and your mom gets deported and you come back and it's like dinner's still cooking and you don't know what to do and and it just seemed like such a crazy um environment but also an, an environment of like wouldn't you just want someone to save you in that moment and I also think like Latino women we just like take things on and I just thought it would be so interesting to see someone who was like a working class person solve problems in a working class way um, and that you would need a person like that if you were going to solve these kinds of problems. And as you're ready, how is the network encouraging or discouraging that aspect of it? I think they wanted a lot of it. They wanted it all. And then they um, there was a little bit of talk initially of it. Like, what if it was not sci fi, though? So then I was like, I don't totally know what that is. And so then we were kind of talked about that, of it just being like a working class, you know, comedy. But I was like, I really want this woman to be a superhero. Like, I just want, you know, my mom and a lot of the women who raised me. um, I had a dad, too, but he was great. But uh, they just took on a lot. And I thought it was such an important thing to watch them be, like, elevated in this way. And once we kind of decided on that, they were very, very cool with it being political and having that stuff in there. But, I mean, you know, it did not get picked up. So, (laughs) 
but it is those big high concept ideas are often totally. a little bit tricky oh, and, they, and they, make, oh, yeah. they make them nervous. I'm definitely not saying I'm like Dave Chappelle and it was too dangerous for television. <laughs> <laughs> like, it could, you know, I would not, I'm sure there are other reasons, but, but I, yeah. but I loved how, you know, I love that line about like, how are we the only people in Arizona without guns? You yeah. Know, it, it, because it's, it's funny. It's not in there just as just okay. Here's a political joke I'm making. It's a. It's <laughs> you know. It's great in the moment. and It's actually a joke. Totally. Um, so they, you know, th- th- this kind of character. You know, this a main character who is this kind of often invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, you know the way you present her that people aren't even really noticing her totally is that you know were you seeing that you know that that kind of main character had not been on a show before is that yeah i mean there's definitely been like working class characters like i was working on superstore um and that was like such a great time it was like the one time um because i'd worked on different shows before but like that like my uncles were really excited they're like we saw your show you know because it was a lot of stories of like i have like family and stuff who've worked those kind of retail jobs i've worked those retail jobs and it was a great it was a great opportunity to see like, oh, these are like main stories from people you don't often see. And I wanted to kind of try to do that on on another level. But yeah, definitely. Like I did this panel was talking about how in L.A. and it's it's different in other cities that I've lived in. There's always like a like a younger or middle aged sort of like El Salvadorian looking woman with two kids sitting waiting for the bus. I remember there was one, I, I, they were running to catch the bus and all of her kids were in karate geese and she was just trying to get them. And I remember just thinking like, that woman is a superhero. Like it sounds so like Pollyanna, but it's like that woman is living a life I couldn't do. I would tap out like day <laughs> one, you know? And 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 not to say her life isn't interesting or complex and there's high moments, but it's a lot of work, you know? It's a lot of work to take the bus in LA, to have two kids, to figure it out. And I think it was just, yeah, it was a huge desire to like, let that person be, you know, as amazing as, as like, I think her kids probably think she is. Yeah. So I want to back up a little bit and just talk a little bit about how you got started writing. Cause sure. I'm sure there are a lot of people here that want to know, yeah. you know, the stories of how people break in. So tell, tell me your story of how you, you got your first job and. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, going way, way back, my um, mom's maiden name is Teller. And so when the Navajos were interned, they were like separated and gathered up and put on this internment camp in Bosque Redondo in the Southwest. Um, They were all given Christian names. And so it's like an Ellis Island thing. Like my great, great grandfather was like the storyteller. And so like, that's why our name is Teller. So it really started from like childhood, just like always wanting to be able to tell stories. And and, um, my grandmother had this really awesome dining room table and there were only so many seats and you had to be like really interesting or really funny to sit at that table. And if you weren't, you would get like bounced to the living room. And so from like day one, I was like, did you hear this thing that happened in fourth grade? And they're like, get out of here, get out of here. But it was like bombing every, you know, Christmas and New Year's and summers. And then finally got a seat at that table. And so my family is very big on like, you would get out of trouble if you were funny, you would get out of trouble if you know you could tell a good story and then I just always wanted to write and tell stories I went to University of Arizona with Logan and um, <laughs> yeah, you were very strong and uh, majored in, fi- in film and minored in creative writing and then um, got this really great internship I googled Native American internship and there was like two and one was at the Smithsonian uh, the National Museum of the American Indian had just been built in Washington DC the 
the main museum on the mall and they offered a film internship and I learned so much and, and it led to a job. It was like right before the recession when they still had money and, and jobs. And, um, and I worked as a film programmer for like six years. I like wrote about native film and, and watched a lot and, and learned a lot. And then, um, they were offering, I basically like, it's a government job. So it was kind of a grind. And, my last year working there, I just watched Hulu at my desk, like all day, every day. It was like that window was always open. And there were just all these funny shows. And I was like, I've always wanted to work in television. And I've always like been obsessed with TV. And um, and they were offering this class for native writers to try to get them into this bigger fellowship that ABC Disney had put on. But they weren't getting enough native applicants. And so I wrote a really bad 30 Rock. I wrote like a Halloween episode that was 20 pages and had mostly guest characters. It's like the worst thing you can do. But there were enough jokes in it that I got in. And then um, I wrote a better 30 Rock. I wrote a How I Met Your Mother. And I like applied for another program and got in. And that one was in Los Angeles. And so I quit my job. And I broke up with my very nice boyfriend. And I put everything in storage and came out here and got into that big, crazy fellowship. It was like, it was insane. Um, like 1,500 people apply. Eight people get chosen. I was one of them. And I didn't know anything. Like I knew nothing. And uh, and then which is probably enraging everyone in this room, like, because um, I would, like I got staffed on a show called Happy Endings, and it was the first season, and um, and it was like working with people who were like had been assistants for five years, and I was like I would hate me too, buddy, <laughs> like sorry, it's like one time the Indian wins, um, so yeah, but but. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it was great, and 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 a lot of the like um, Logan and I had been in this comedy group in college called Comedy Corner, and we did a weekly sketch and improv show, and that was like a great learning experience, just being with a bunch of other funny people who are sort of all equal and having to work on those things. And so getting in the room, I was like, it was very. We had Happy Endings had like twenty writers. It was a huge room of writers, um, and there were ten staff writers. It was very Lord of the or with Lord of the Flies. It was very feral, but um, but a lot of those dudes. They're still my friends, and I, I love all of them. But from there, I basically um, was very lucky because a lot of diversity programs, you end up being like a staff writer for like four years on four different shows. But that show went three seasons, and I was able to bump up. And then after that, got um, agents and a manager, and then just kept staffing every year. But my mom, um, she's a sixth or fifth generation Navajo tapestry weaver. She's like. LeBron James of Navajo weaving. She's amazing. And um, but every year we'd have to go out and like sell like and so I actually like like developing and I like pitching because it just feels like it's like Indian market season. It's like you gotta make that sale and you know. <laughs> but yeah. It's kind of amazing how your childhood gave you a lot of great training. Yeah. For both aspects, for being in a room and developing. No, totally. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I should tell the story, but like there was a moment in developing where there was like a project and they were like, I don't know if this is it. And I was like, I know this is it. I was like, I know I can sell this. And I was like, I'm going to sell those white ladies a rug. Like, just get me in that office. <laughs> and like, I can sell those white ladies a rug. And they were like, okay, let's do it. And we did. We sold it. So it was good. But it is like, sometimes you just got to know, you know, that you can do it. And so it, it, was this your first pilot that you sold or there that I other had um yeah there was like a comedy central it was called Rudy that had been sold and the first person they just wanted to go a different way and so they brought me in um and it was like a latino cholo simpsons um and that got really close and then they just they didn't pick it up but so technically that was like the first thing i developed and then this was like the first like original idea sale that i had okay anyone has anyone thought of a question 
Yes, someone is approaching the microphone. Do you have any questions? So can I be greedy and have one comment and a question? Absolutely. Sure. So I just finished eight years of federal employment, and awesome. I love the character of Connor. It's one of the more charismatic people that I've worked <laughs> with in the federal government. <laughs> you touched on this sort of at the end of the episode, but did you have some ideas for what else, what are storylines we would see in season? Totally, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, there was one where it was like a alien who was like really angry and just kept like bombing people which is horrible now I could never do this but but it was like terrorist attacks or whatever and then it wasn't even that it wasn't that violent but it was basically like you were like uh sorry I'm pointing to Caligo. um Didi was just like he just needs to meet the right girl and they're like I don't think that's it or whatever and it was just like no 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 he's just angry because I feel like a lot of those like you know proud boys it's like I'd worked with this guy in, and this is like not to minimize racism it's very important it's you know but um but I remember working with this guy in a kitchen and he had some t-shirt on that was really dicey and I was like where'd you get that t-shirt he's like I had a clan rally and I was like what and I was like what happened he's like well I lived in Mississippi and there's like not much to do and then I was like so are you in the clan now? He's like, no. He's like, I moved to Arizona, married a nice Mexican girl. Like, I don't need that stuff anymore. And I was like, this is just the crazy. And I've like, so just a little bit of that of like getting people out of like their bubbles and putting them in new situations was some of that stuff. And then I think I was gonna have her get another like president of a planet addicted to sex in the city. So that it was like, so she, he, they would just keep watching them and then they wouldn't try to like bomb anyone or something. There was a bunch of stuff like that. Yeah, Thank you. <laughs> totally. So, so I guess my question uh, sort of follows up on that. And that was, uh, it's not clear from the pilot what the balance is between anthology and serial elements. And I imagine uh, the network asked you some about that. And anthology I wondered if you had a thought. Yes. Because like, it does have a kind of, you know, lawman riding into town, like taking care of a case kind of thing. But at the same time, it might be totally. more Yeah. Yeah. There was supposed to be, like, the Yadalas themselves were supposed to be basically like rich people. They were just like, because there's a lot of like money in Arizona, and so they were like kind of a country club, people who'd been there for hundreds of years, and, and there was supposed to be like an overall arc of sort of dismantling their whole situation. And then, um, and so, but yeah, I think they really wanted it to be, weirdly, I find most networks want things to be episode of the week because it's easier for like reruns and binging and stuff and they avoid serializing weirdly they wanted things to be serialized and I just wanted to make supernatural I was like I just want to make like case of the week like every week you solve a crime every week you know um that was my dream of it but yeah so a mix um, thanks for coming. That was a great reading. Oh, thank you. Um, had a quick question about the hot dog cart and how that all came about and really enjoyed how so much a part of her character and a weapon and everything like that. Yeah. Um, I've worked a bunch of restaurant jobs, but I wanted her to like definitely work in the service industry, but also be able to like go anywhere in the city. And um, Tucson is famous for these things called Sonoran hot dogs. It's like hot dog in like a torta roll covered in just a bunch of wonderful like goodness um salsa and cheese and sour cream and mayo and it's really good um I've eaten too many of them in my life but um and so I just thought it'd be cool if she had like a local Tucson kind of job and then Bookman's is a real bookstore in Tucson where I would get like dumped for hours because it's just it's books and games and figurines and used books and records and music instruments and so um I just wanted them to have a job where he could be sort of the professor and do research from all these books and stuff and where she could be like more on the case and be mobile and that was the reason for for giving her that job 
Um, I also enjoyed the uh, reading. Thank you so much for it. Thank you. Um, I had a question about your, your comment about the development process. You said that there was a point where you felt you were ready to take it to sale or to pitch. Yeah. And the other people on your team were like, oh, we're not sure it's ready. How did you know within yourself that you were ready whereas they weren't so sure. I think well, it w they were correct because it was a high concept like sci-fi comedy in a year where like everyone was trying to like make Roseanne. So like it was, I, but I was like, it is working class and it is blue collar. And I was like, it is all these things. But I think it's like, you got to go out with the thing you, you can pitch the best. And I think if I were to sort of take out the genre elements of it, the thing that I thought was interesting about it, I also to America was like, we're not doing that. She was like, there's no way, you know? So it was just more like talking to, you know, and also to my, my, there's a bunch of people where it's like this is your first thing you're going out with and you have to kind of be like is this the best representation of who you are so on any given Sunday you could like argue they were correct but I just knew like if I had to go out with something that I didn't fully believe in the first time I think it just would have been harder for me um so yeah it's I think it's just a gut thing and also I just really liked it and and America is so smart and carries a lot of weight I was like if you're gonna like throw it all out on the field like you might as well do it with something you really like Thank you. Totally. Just to add on, because I sense, are you are you kind of wondering like how do you know it's the right idea in general? You know, how, you've got a bunch of ideas. How do you know which is it? Um, because I think that's a that is for all of us as yeah. writers, it is so hard to to know which what idea is worth sticking with, and um, I think sometimes as an exercise, it, it's it's good to imagine someone criticizing it and seeing uh, would I just give up with a little bit of criticism or would I keep going? It's sort of like you're dating someone who says we have to move in together or, or we're, we're breaking up and you know you you know sometimes you think like oh well yeah well, let's break up obviously that's you know that, that's the call and sometimes you're like oh no 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 I, I I we have to move in together like I I realize when I think about not doing this it, it's upsetting and I think um, that you know you those exercises to know whether it's just kind of an idea that seems like good in the moment or whether like oh no I think I might want to write this for for five or six years but it is I mean it, it's yeah it's very it's a very hard thing to know which you know because there's always that panic sometimes you know I've had selling an idea and being like oh god I just sold that now I have to write it and it's, <laughs> a, it's a really bad feeling if you don't really like the idea um hello uh well I just wanted to start out by saying that I really really loved pretty much everything about this oh, um as a big nerd myself and my mom <laughs> lived in Phoenix for a year so when you mentioned Bookman's like I like lit up that was <laughs> that was like my probably a quarter of the video games and graphic novels oh, yeah. I own I purchased during that year <laughs> in middle school <laughs> um and so but also just as um oh and also I just really liked it as an aspiring writer girl mixed race person myself <laughs> but um so I remember you said when you came up that you, you came up with the idea when you were thinking about um, if you and if this happened to you and your brother. Yeah. And I know when I have tried to write, I've like I always try to like draw stuff from my own personal experience, but I've always worried that I'm that I'm making characters too much like myself. Mm -hmm. um, so how did you deal with the balance of taking stuff from you and your brother's conversations and own personal experience, but balancing that with also creating 
original characters? Oh, God. Um, I don't know. Um, well, I think I always put a little bit of myself and like everybody, everything that you write, right? And I feel like you kind of bond with certain characters. I think in this regard, it was a little bit like, okay, if I hadn't left Tucson and I'd stayed and I'd taken care of my brother, I would have infantilized him. So this is like the most infantilized version. Like my brother's much more independent and self-sufficient than this person, right? So you you sort of just play the like cards of that. So it's like if I had stayed, then I would probably be like a little more inert. I'd be a little more quiet and I'd be really angry and I'd be like ready to rage out. And so then it was like, okay, how do you how do you extrapolate that character? And then with with the Sunny character, it's like, what if my brother was super tone deaf because he just had everything taken care of him? And like, what's the funniest version of that? What's the, like the samurai sword? I was like, my brother did buy a sword, but like he bought it with his own money. And like, you know, whereas um, this was a different situation. And I think like, don't be afraid to like, I've had people, um, if the character is someone you know, just use their name, you know, and you can always like change it later or whatever, or, or trying to find like extreme versions of different people. So it helps that way. Um, the character is a little bit clearer because everyone's much more complicated in real life. Right. Um, cause like initially I did pitch this character as me and they were like, you're not a wallflower. They're like, you're actually really loud and <laughs> talkative. Um, and so I had to kind of rethink about it in that way. And then I was like, oh, is there a family member that this person reminds me of? Is there, you know, and you kind of just keep drawing from different people. What you never want to do is be like, well, I wouldn't do that. Cause you have to be like, well, what if you would like, just keep playing out that sort of find your own adventure, you know, it's like, what's the end point? Where does that lead? Cool. Thank you. Good luck. Yeah, so um, also from Arizona, so I appreciated the Bookman's reference. Amen. That was awesome. <laughs> um, and uh, I love the pilot, and I'm also a fan of Superstore. So mm -hmm. I was curious, if the unthinkable happened and the show was canceled tomorrow, but you got to pick another show, to an existing show, to be on the staff of, what show would you choose and why? Um, well, I'm on a show right now called Splitting Up Together. So if that went away, my own show, probably. Sure. Yeah, I guess be... I was just curious since you know what what other existing shows sort of like fits your sensibilities and you think you sure. Really oh dead. my god, um, Detroiters I think is like the funniest show on television. I was a huge inspiration for this of like how do you make something specific from where you're from and like not afraid to just film it there and do it there. Abroad City is another one. Um, what else is really good? Big Mouth. I think it's so goddamn funny. Um, what else? What else? Insecure. Insecure is like the greatest thing in the whole wide world. Right. Um, Barry, I'm really enjoying. But yeah, any of those shows, if they would have me, sure. I would be honored. Thank you. Thank you. It's a lot of questions. I'm really proud of you guys. <laughs> I've done a lot of native film screenings, and some only crazy people come up and ask questions. So this is really good. You guys are great. First of all, thank you so much for coming today. It was incredible. You guys are incredible. So thank you so much for sharing this with us. Um, and I wanted to sort of ask you about um, what I love so much about. I mean, it's really funny, so I love that. But also what I love so much about your pilot is that you have such a, uh, a specific voice and that you know, a lot of times it seems like in our country there's this dominant idea that working class equals white. Mm -hmm. And there's this, you know, it's like, there's plenty of working class people who aren't white. You know, there's like this media, the media has this sort of like working class white people and there seems to be an ig ignoring complete neglect of like this whole segment of society that are working class non-white people. And so one of the things I love so much about your pilot was like that ownership of that. And so maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, definitely. And I think also too, like, 
I imagine that, you know, the Sunny and Didi character would be as ignorant about, like, a guy from Long Island. Like, I also think people from, like, small towns are sort of, like, sauce on the side, right? And, like, you know, like, have assumptions of, like, how people are, too. So the dream was for, like, both of those bubbles to kind of interact with each other and that they would kind of, you know, there'd be a culture clash in a fun way. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I came from super working class family, um, a lot of military. My dad was, my dad's now a pharmacist, but he was, like, a copper miner and a bus driver and he had a million jobs and um and I think it is important to kind of know like the different versions of working class people and kind of especially Arizona Arizona gets such a bad rap and uh if I can do anything to improve the image of Arizona <laughs> that was also the goal yeah because the um, good place isn't helping no no he is yeah <laughs> you're not wrong but also accurate I was like I feel um but yeah no uh but yeah, I think you kind of said it. Like, I don't know what, what else to say about it. But I think just kind of broadening people's idea of, like, what working class looks like. And it's it's predominantly, statistically, you know, it's predominantly female. It's predominantly woman of color. So it's uh, there's some big numbers there. And it'd be nice to have some representation. Yeah, but I think you are right that when the networks say, oh, we're looking for a blue-collar uh, show, they mean white people. They mean Roseanne. Yeah, they mean Roseanne. And that was it for the Q&A. And that's it for our show this month. Thanks again to Ben Blacker. And thank you to Noah Findling. Thanks also to Sarah Cross and Barnett Kelman and David Isaacs from the USC Comedy Festival. Will you please subscribe to this podcast, for God's sakes, in the Apple Podcast app or Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. You won't miss an episode. And also, leave us a rating. It helps other people find the show. Uh, it means a lot. You should follow us on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod and on Instagram at Facebook and Facebook at Dead Pilot Society. That way you'll find out about all of our live shows. 2019 is going to be a great year for Dead Pilot Society. I'll talk at you then. I'm Andrew Reich. Until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>